Welcome to the Evolution Exchange Cybersecurity Podcast. We're bringing together the best security leaders from across the UK to discuss their industry passions, challenges, and ideas. I'm Stephen Mann, and I connect businesses with talented security professionals. But today, I'm your host for this roundtable discussion. In today's episode, we're going to talk about all things Manchester. Manchester is a huge technology hub in the north of the UK, and we really want to shine a light on the scene and why it's such a great option for candidates and their careers. Today, I'm joined by Amy Lemberger, CISO at Gamma, Mike Thompson, the Information Security Manager at Zen Internet, Nelson Fortunato, the Cybersecurity Manager at NEC Software Solutions, and Matt Summers, the Director of Information Security for the Products, Pharmaceuticals and Life Sciences Division of PMI. But before we jump into today's topic, let's work our way around the room with some introductions. And Amy, do you want to start us off? Yeah, sure. Thanks, Stephen. Um, so my name is Amy Limberger. I've been CISO over at Gamma um, since 2020. I actually joined them mid-pandemic. Um, and so I didn't actually get to join the Manchester scene pre-pandemic because I worked in London and as such kind of benefited from the London-based um, scene um, while I was down there. So I'm very keen to kind of revamp and revitalise the Manchester scene because um, I actually think when it comes to seniors in security, it's one of the most important things you can have and that is peers around you to support you. Fantastic. Thank you, Amy. Mike, let's jump to you. Thank you very much indeed, Steve. Um, I'm Mike Thompson. I'm uh, the InfoSec Manager at Zen, as you said. I've been at Zen for 12 years. Um, I've been around for a lot longer than that. Um, I've been in the north of England for a very long time, although, as you can tell by my accent, I'm from Scotland originally, which is actually true. But um, I've been in Manchester for around 15 years. I've been around in the music scene in the northwest of England, but I've also been around in the uh, infosec scene as well. So, yeah, hopefully some of my experiences will be useful in this session. Fantastic. Nelson, over to you. Hi, Steve. Uh, I have a similar uh, experience like Amy. Uh, I also came from London. Um, My previous uh, employer was in um, was down in London. I used to go to visit smart buildings and uh, uh, discover networking and doing security to to smart buildings uh, from uh, uh, for a company based in Leeds. Uh, I decided to move to Manchester uh, last year. Uh, meanwhile, my contract ended with NG Bailey, uh, so I moved to uh, NIC Software Solutions. Uh, and yes, I came uh, also to explore the cyber security potentials uh, that Manchester uh, has to offer. Uh, and so far, so good. Fantastic stuff. And uh, last, but by no means least, Matt, let's, uh, let's hear a little bit about you. Cheers, Steve. Yeah, so I'm Matt Summers, and although I, I might not look like it, I'm nearly 30 years in the game. Um, uh, as you can tell from my accent, I'm not from the north at all, actually. Uh, believe it or not, I'm from East London. Um, <laughs> but I moved to Manchester about 10 years ago now, actually. And um, 
you know, uh, when I was considering moving, um, I remember speaking to my wife at the time and and complaining about how there wasn't really much of a scene in Manchester with regards to uh, infosec, especially since I come from London, where there's a plethora of, of gatherings. And also, there wasn't really much in the way of opportunities, I felt. Uh, and I and I thought my career would stagnate. Um, but here we are, uh, 10 years on, and actually, uh, Manchester as a, a, as a community has grown um, quite a lot, but also in terms of uh, job opportunities for for people, it's um, uh, surpassed my expectations, and I really enjoyed living in the northwest. Um, and I'm really excited to talk to you about this topic today. Amazing stuff! Thank you very much, everyone. And I think that's that's a very nice segue into why I wanted to bring you all together, because uh, you all have very different stories that culminate to our current situation in working in security in Manchester, um, and. I think you've all got very interesting points to say about why there are such good opportunities in Manchester and why Manchester can be uh, the the hub for cyber and information security that we all think it should be. So yes, that's why I wanted to bring you all together today. And now, a word from our sponsor, Qualys. But who are Qualys? Qualys is recognised as an industry pioneer and a premium provider of cutting-edge cloud-based security compliance and IT solutions, backed by a global subscriber base exceeding 10,000 customers. Qualys is incredibly proud to be supporting Evolution Podcasts. Together we are dedicated to addressing the prevalent challenges in the ever-changing landscape of cybersecurity. Qualys assists organizations in consolidating and automating their security and compliance solutions onto a unified platform, resulting in enhanced agility, improved business outcomes, and a significant cost reduction. Utilizing a single agent, the Qualys Cloud Platform delivers continuous critical security intelligence and remediation, with comprehensive coverage extending across on-premise, endpoints, servers, public and private cloud, containers and mobile devices, ensuring robust security across a diverse environment. For more information, please visit Qualys.com and see for yourself how Qualys can have your business manage and reduce your cyber risk at speed, at scale, and in a quantifiable way. So what we'll do is we'll start now jumping into our our, our conversation. Uh, so obviously we, we've said that we're going to speak about the Manchester security scene, but we've got some key topics that we've we, we've all spoken about uh, ahead of time that we'll uh, discuss, in a, discuss in a roundtable format today. So our first question I'm going to throw to the table then. Um, from your knowledge and your engagement with it, what happened to the pre-existing Manchester security scene? Because um, there, there, there was a very prevalent community in security in Manchester, particularly dating back to before a certain pandemic. Um, but as a secondary part to that question, why do you think an active community is important within security too let me throw that out there mike what do you think um to an extent you answered your own question to begin with which was what happened to the scene the pandemic happened to the scene and we all retreated and retracted into different methods and and ways of going about communicating and and connecting with people so for example some of the stuff that i did matt Matt, you're aware of this the, the bear farmers and all that kind of work that we've done over the years was kind of brought to the fore during the pandemic because what we did was utilize community 
and technology to bring people still together at a really desperate time for a lot of people. Mm. Dark time, in fact. Uh, but keep that kind of connection, that spark happening. But then prior to that, um, I think back to 2018, so a couple of years before the, the pandemic rocked up, um, Mark Turner, Matt Summers, acquaintances, gave me a gave me a gig, right? <clears throat> I'd already done B-Side London, so that's to your point that London was the main scene, the main circuit of what's going on in the InfoSec community in the UK. Well, it's not. It never has been, really. It's been part of the main hub of the UK, but mm. it, there, there are far more branches out there. But I'd done a gig down at B-Side London, came back quite flush. Oh, my first public conference, and I've been in the study in front of a bunch of strangers that talked about web application firewalls, which... Who's interested in that? Well, apparently a few people were. That was fantastic. Came back up to Manchester uh, and did a gig for OWASP, so the Open Web App Security Project, right, which I'm sure you've all heard of. And Scott Helm, who people in the Northwest will all know very well, great supporter and a great contributor to our industry. And, and Mark, Mark Turner turned up and went, oh, bunch of people speaking at a little tiny little place in the, in the Victoria Quarter in Manchester said, I might like what you're doing. Come and do a talk at B-Sides Manchester, B-Sides. Now, B-Sides is a growing movement. It's been around for a very long time. It comes out of the back of the things like DEF CON and Black Hat in the US, where a guy called Jack Daniel and a couple of his associates went, sometimes on a record, you put on your record player, the B-Side is better than the A-Side. That's the actual uh, philosophical genesis of where the B-Side movement comes from and it's become a community stronghold across the globe right whether it's besides manchester besides exeter besides islamabad besides oklahoma you name it they're all over the planet and the point of them is to bring people together in a community a community whether you're a reverse engineer whether you're a malware analyst whether you're a person working in drc whether you're doing this that and the other role the whole point of the B-Sides movement is to get people all together. But the added bonuses, and Matt will attest to this because he, he's been a director of B-Sides himself, is to loosely associate the community with the industry. Not in an overt way, not in an oppressive way, not in a we're here to sell you anything kind of way, but to bring in people like sponsors that will offer monies up to the organization that, that put the event on in order for it to be a great event people get a memory from it, be it swag, air quotes, stuff, but a lasting memory that of an organization that may well indeed be your next employer or a future employer. Mm. And that's one thing that's kind of gone out of the city for me. We've got a few things back in the city in recent times. So I'm thinking about things like, oh, Wasp have opened their doors again to their qualities. Uh, some friends of ours have, have started up the 2600 group, but what they are, are actually pretty niche the pub events where you rock up and you yeah. have a pint and a, a bit of food and stuff like that and chat about topics. But they're not community events and they don't connect, in my mind at least, they don't connect the industry to the individuals that make the industry a thing. So that's my that's my view on that one for you, Steve. No, cheers, Mike. And Amy, I'm, I'm just going to jump to you because obviously like you mentioned, your experience within a security community, within a security scene, the predominancy of that was in London as you moved up to Manchester during the pandemic. So you've not seen the stuff that like Mike's referring to there. Why do you think having, having been part of a, such a strong community, why do you think being part of that community is important? Adding to Mike's point. So um, 
personally, I've always found it, and, and as you become more senior, I'm sure other people find it as well, but you have less people to bounce ideas off. Um, so I find that um, the more senior you are, the less likely you are to have a counterpart that does the same thing as you. Mm-hmm. You become quite a unique person. And even if you were to talk to maybe CTO, CIO, they've got different priorities, different ways of working, different pressures. Um, so I find the community is that, I suppose, borderline release and relationship and um, sounding board mm-hmm. um, to understand if you're going in the right di- direction, understand whether you're having shared issues, understanding viewpoints of um, maybe past failures of other people so you don't repeat them, sharing your failures so that you help other people not repeat them. Um, so to me, I suppose that the community for me is about development, learning, um, pushing yourself and your company forward through relationships with other people, um, as well as the, I suppose, relationship side of you personally, um, because when you are on your own, it can feel quite, I suppose, lonely and isolating. So understanding that other people are there and other people are available to kind of even WhatsApp, pick up the phone and say, you know, oh dear, this has just happened. Um, and you might have formalized threat intelligence relationships with other people. You can share that. It's not quite the same thing of, oh, this horrible thing happened. Can I pick up the phone and have a chat to you about it? Mm. That to me is the community side of what our industry is really good at. Yeah. And and, and was that prevalent in terms of what you were doing in London? Did you, did you have that, that community element there? Yeah, I was actually involved with helping organize a group that actually brought people together. Um, and it was really focused on kind of CISOs getting in a room once a month, once every other month. Um, and it had a standing sponsor um, and we always used their offices and we always just came together. Um, and it was always about kind of 15, 20 of us and we'd just chat. And yeah. you got the, it wasn't always the same 15, 20, but there would usually be like a few kind of 10 hardcore people. And they were the people who became your your people, for want mm. of a better word. Fantastic. I think it's it, it's interesting and it's something that we'll kind of review as we get towards the end of this conversation about what we think is missing in terms of community ops and stuff like that. So obviously, you know, from a personal perspective there, getting to lean on contemporaries, on peers, people who are going through the same sort of experiences as you, Amy, that's that's clearly something that that you're screaming out for, that you want to see, that you want to be part of. And I think it's such such a worthy thing to, um, to bring up and to point out, um, Fab. But um, he, he, sorry, Steve, yeah, just, to, on, just to build a little bit on Amy's point there, even uh, less senior level, you feel that that kind of living in isolation in a bubble. It took me until 2017 to go to my first um, conference. And I've been doing technology for 35 years. And eventually I went out into the world and started meeting the Amy's of the world, you know, and understanding what other people's anxieties and aspirations were. So, so I I agree yeah. with you. The difference is, is that now I'm in charge. I mandate it for my team. Well, you know, is. so it's it's a, it's a bit different when you get when you're in charge of the people maybe in the more junior positions, and you've come through the ranks and you've seen exactly what you're describing. I now expect my teams to be out there. It's even in their job description. Um, you will be an active part of your industry. Um, so you know, I think times are changing for maybe the lower level people and. Very rarely do you have one junior person doing the role. Um, you sh- should likely have a team based on the size you are and the rest of it. Um, so I, I do agree with you to a certain extent, but I do think it's easier for more junior people to find each other because naturally there are more of them. 
I think so, but I think the uh, my my response to you, Amy, is more that the more organisations should follow that lead. They should follow mm. that suit, right? And probably yeah. not enough do. Sorry, I'm nodding, and that's not helpful on a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> it's absolutely fine. I, I think I think you're right. The social element absolutely is right, and and I think this is something that we'll come on to later in terms of actually educating both from a senior a leadership position a manager who is looking to hire talent educating them on what is out there and why people maybe are looking at opportunities elsewhere but also the talent pool who might be looking at working remotely for an organization down in london well why would you do that when we've got this community here that you can be part of these are things that yeah we'll definitely come to and, and chat more about later that more of that social element side of things uh nelson uh, what about you what what's What's your experience been within security scenes? Why do you think it's a, it's an important venture for a city like Manchester to have a a a, a big security scene movement? First, because uh, security is going to be trending uh, for the next uh, uh, generation, I believe. Uh, and uh, uh, second, everyone, every city would like to be uh, involved. Uh, in in having a strong uh, a strong community a strong cyber c- cyber security com- community um, because as I said I do believe is going to be is going to be something to stay here uh, and the more the city invests I mean not directly the city of course but the most uh, uh, is invested in 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 cyber security and and getting the community strong the better for the city as Amy said. It's always good uh, uh, to to hear from different points of view mm-hmm. uh, and to contest and to challenge sometimes the the leadership if that leadership is not on the on the right direction. So I completely understood what what you meant uh, because a junior usually is not contesting a senior uh, decision, and I think this is this is something uh, uh, something really important uh, that Manchester serves that wave. Yeah. No, I completely agree. Matt, finally, you know, let's, let's come to you, because obviously, as Mike referred to, you've been quite heavily involved in the Manchester security scene previously. What are your thoughts in terms of what happened, why it's why it stayed quiet since the pandemic, and what is that importance of getting it revived again? Uh, I think why it stayed quiet is, is there's many reasons for that. Um, I, I think um, uh, there wasn't really an appetite, particularly for organisations to invest um, in, in sponsoring um, the events because, um, you know, they weren't recruiting, you know, they weren't yeah, um, uh, they weren't buying technology. And they're, they're the main drivers, right, for, for, for companies investing in, in events. Um, and also uh, it, it became really difficult to to get venues because venues closed down, yeah. um, you know, they, did, they didn't have staff. And I think also there was an element of apathy as well uh, amongst people to to get back out and, and, and attend events. And I think also a lot of um, uh, organizations pivoted to doing online events. And actually, um, I think if you'd have asked people before the pandemic, would you attend an online event? People would have said, no, why would I? Mm-hmm. I just attend a physical event. You know, I can have a drink. I can I can socialize. You know, I'm not going to get much value from it. And, and I'll be honest with you, I mean, I was one of those people. And actually, I did attend more events remotely um, than, than I did physically post-pandemic. And actually, there, there were a lot of events that were that, that were really good. 
Um, but but I don't think it's um, it, it's stagnated. We're now starting to see uh, an element of change. Um, and I'm really pleased to see that. But it's important for us to, to get back to that uh, um, to that stage, um, really. So you know people can um, speak to their peers. They can learn new um, uh, technologies, capabilities. Um, they can bounce ideas. Um, you know they can they can look for jobs. They can learn about technology. And, and and honestly, you know, socialize with people, um, uh, and um, uh, and and uh, uh, and hopefully, uh, you know, build that network that's going to allow them to yeah. make that next step in their career. Yeah, and I think if if, oh, sorry, if I may, add, I, I'm sorry, Stephen. If I may, no, add, I apologize. And because uh, we can also absorb the talent uh, graduated from Manchester universities instead of. Absolutely. Uh, instead of sending them to London or, or any anywhere else, it's always uh, uh, good to invest in what you have. Yeah, I completely agree, and that that that's a really uh, a really key point for me. Is you know whatever level individuals are at, whether it be coming straight from education or relatively junior in their experience, all the way up to people who are taking the step into leadership. Sometimes that the knowledge and the awareness you have are only within that certain ecosystem. And if you have a wider community, a wider ecosystem with more reach and more diverse people and more diverse thoughts, you're going to start learning more, opening yourself up to more. And, and that is on, only going to be helpful for us as a community because Matt becomes aware of this candidate or Amy becomes aware of this opportunity. And it, there's, there's things that happen organically when we have a you know an open forum an open discussion an open community i think part of the challenge steve is the pandemic again we're going to be talking about this all night right but um it did lead to a, a talent drain because with people moving to hybrid or fully remote working it ended up with almost like the london salary but not without but not with the london cost associated with it and we as zen saw a significant number of people, really, really talented people with a long, long-served experience at the organisation, getting jobs at the, and I'll name the companies, you know, the Moonpigs and the Trust Pilots of the world, and you know, large online organisations, without having to move mm. where they lived, mm -hmm. but they were still getting a higher salary. That was not bounced back yet, though, because of the fact that they're now saying, all right, well, certain organizations are saying we only get paid based on where you physically are, not where the job is. Not seeing that materially. Uh, okay. Yeah. But it could be a thing, but I, we're not seeing it materially. Mm, no, I don't think I don't I don't think you are uh, paid. But uh, I'm sorry, I don't think you are paid. Uh, for your geolocation, I think the company just opens the position and they just offer a salary. There is, just, so just to uh, kind of confirm a little bit what Amy was saying, that I, I have seen that only today that there are locational uh, leanings on salary. So it's almost banded based on location. I, I saw that mm. earlier today. I, I think it, it, this kind of like naturally jumps into our, our next point that we'll, that we'll discuss Um in terms of where we think there are disconnects happening between the employees that are trying to hire people within and around Manchester in the Northwest and those candidates that they're looking to engage. Um, because there absolutely are some disconnects. There's um, bits of research that I've done in, in the last, uh, I think, 
well, it's, it's it's two years worth of data set, but specifically relevant over the last six months of candidates who have migrated away from the Manchester employers to work remotely for people elsewhere or who have moved, you know, in the regions of of nearly 20 percent. Uh, it's it, it's it's quite a large figure. Now, obviously, that's going to be transient because there are people who are going to be doing equal other way, uh, the other way round. But what what I want to know is what you as you know leaders and, and professionals in this security world, where do you think that disconnect between the talent pool, the candidate pool, and the employers around Manchester are? Is it the lack of access? Is it the lack of brand recognition? Where, where do we think the disconnect might be? Um, Nelson, let's jump to you first. Uh, I think I think that is not on my view. I think the the employers are uh, worldwide. I mean, UK based because uh, in cybersecurity and information security, you have certain restrictions uh, where you can employ. It depends what kind of assets are are uh, those. Um, uh, those uh, uh, that people uh, uh, dealing with, but I think when you when you are opening one um, one vacancy UK wide, I would think that that is not a big uh, a big um, difference in accepting a position living in Manchester and uh, and accepting a position in London. I think it is more the other way around. I think it opened more it opened more doors, including for people living in Manchester to work in companies in London and not the other way around exactly for that salary gap. Because according with my view, I would think that the salary gap would would be justified in London, nowhere else in the UK. Um so this is why this is why I think that um, people have more would have in the future more tendency to move to cities like Manchester because you have a, a higher life quality and you can still doing your job. Your money goes much much for for more, much much further with uh, with what you earn here and what you earn in London. So mm-hmm. I think in that point, Man- Manchester just 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 ha- has advantages uh, uh, in comparing with London. Of course, London is a global city, but for people working, we don't enjoy the city every day. So this, <laughs> that's true. Yeah, no, 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 that's of course true. it is. Can of I, course. You have a, a certainly different lens, and it's not necessarily geolocation. It is what someone wants out of their job, maybe. Mm-hmm. So where we're finding a lot of success is hiring those people who have maybe been burnt out by these big brands. And, you know, yeah, they've gone after the big salaries and they've did it, did it myself. You know, you get big money and then you, you're expected to do a lot and lot of work. Whereas some of the smaller organizations maybe are a bit more realistic about what they expect you to do yeah. for the money they're going to pay you. Um, so it might be less, but then actually you may, uh, to to Nelson's point, you may be having a better quality of life. Um, so I think actually some of the people who are opting to maybe come to Manchester or non-London roles or maybe smaller brand roles mm-hmm. are the people who want to maybe not have the pressure of a big brand behind them yeah. uh, and maybe actually want a more quality of life. So I think we've got the chance of oversimplifying people's life choices about where they pick to work. Because I think sometimes it is about the company they're going to, and maybe that's the type of company that would choose to be in Manchester potentially. Yeah, and I think that's that's an important distinction to make. Is it's not you know the, this specific topic isn't 
a case of what do we need to do for Manchester. It's more the employers, the brands within Manchester, exactly as you're say, saying, Amy. Where's the disconnect in terms of why aren't people looking at them as a first viable option? Why are they something that, oh, I'll see it, I might apply for that. Or, a, a you know, somebody like myself, a consultant might ring me and speak to me about that. I might consider it, you know, the gammas of the world, they should be somebody's first option because you know, look at look at you, Amy, and the the opportunity that you've had with Gamma. It's it, it's great, and and I think that's why I, I preempted this point by saying, is it a thing of brand recognition and people actually having the knowledge of the organisations that are in around Manchester? Because I think if you're if you're not within a community, you don't necessarily know because you know the brands you see. When you walk around the city centre, the big offices with the KPMGs on the uh, um, uh, on the billboard, or the you know uh, Booking.com on the billboards and things like that, you you recognise those brands, but maybe don't have the knowledge. And I think that's one of the points that I wanted to get to in terms of this disconnect of where the opportunities are and what people can do. I, I personally think that's a massive reason of why we really need to reinvigorate a community to get that knowledge out there but it's um, not it's not just steve it's not just the brands <clears throat> and the big name firms it's the hiring quality of those organizations no matter yeah. how big or small they are right it's you know candidates are candidates they've got a skill set does it match the hiring requirements of the organization whether it's a coffee chain or whether it's a kpmg right the hiring quality is not ideal and it's not ideal because organizations don't necessarily know exactly what they want right they're not helped by the fact that they've got a myriad bunch of different problems that they want to solve and then they try and shoehorn that into a single role that's a common problem in hiring they're not helped by with all due respect to yourself steve who works in the recruitment industry necessarily <laughs> helped by not well articulating the requirements to people like yourself mm -hmm. and therefore you're not all that well equipped to be able to go out and find that individual unicorn keyword yeah. there being unicorn um so it becomes a little bit hamstrung and we hear terms like skills gap and all that kind of thing being banded around but actually the gap isn't skills in my opinion the gap is the ability to hire people and perhaps to invest in that people to invest in junior in, in, in junior in junior people entry level <laughs> i just came i just came uh i just came through that through that phase and sometimes it's kind of uh, laughable when you see everywhere adverts for cyber security oh they just just jump into the cyber career is going to be the, the 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 ride of your life you are going to have lots of money you are going to uh, to enjoy straight away to have a, a job straight away and we know that this is not true because one when an employer giving a job to a, to a junior in cybersecurity has has to oversee the, the the process all the way through. You cannot just give assets to someone to manage that just came from from uni. I was there some time ago. Luckily, I had lots of years uh, in in management experience related to dentistry, and I could progress to management in cybersecurity. But to be honest with you, sometimes. I still struggle to understand some of the some of the um, the technical aspects of it. But if I have someone who invests in in myself to develop the skills required to do that function, I think it is always always better than looking for a high uh, yeah. rated specialist to do that specific job. Yeah, I think you, that's you, oh, so go ahead, yeah. Amy. Yeah, 
Yeah, so you're right. And it's we, there's not enough done to cross skill. So some of my most talented security people are people who didn't have any security training when I took them on. They were network engineers. They were database administrators. They were people who ran the IT systems. If you look at my team in Gamma, there's probably 50% of the people that were Gamma cross-trained moved over and 50% of getting the external in. Because then you get the internal context, the wonderful upskilling, the promotions, the, you know, the kudos and the good feeling that you get from internal candidates and the external skills of these specialists. And Mike, you are right. There is seems to be an expectation of unicorns in the industry. Um, you get that wonderful mix in a team which drives diversity, drives thought processes, drives improvements. But there is not d- enough done to say, right, do you know what? I'm going to take a gamble on you because you're a good person and you want to do cyber. It's yeah. um, it, it's something something we see all the time. And personally, I, I think the term skills gap it is a bit fear-mongering. Um, I, I'm not a huge fan of it uh, because I, I completely agree. I don't think there is a lack of skills. I think it's maybe a lack of time or a lack of willingness to invest in those people, as you just discussed there. There are so many businesses that do that and have initiatives of bringing in people, cross-skilling them, training them and moving them around. But for everyone, there's probably 50 that don't do that. Well, Matt's um, saying this as well as I have, putting conferences on in the UK, right? He's done it plenty of times. I've done it plenty of times. You see the talent, it's there, right? Mm. It's threat analysts, it's people that are doing GRC, it's people that are doing malware. All that talent is there. It's about that building that bridge between those folk that have got aspiring futures and their future employer. And that's the bit that's missing. Yeah, there there isn't a missing talent pool. The talent pool is burgeoning. Oh, completely agree. Completely agree. That, that's that's exactly why we you know bring this topic up of where is the disconnect, not where is the gap, not where do we need to invest more in education. There's there's hundreds of people on a uh, on a yearly basis coming through with the right core skills that we look for. Even yeah. if, you know you talk about security, so much of security is interpersonal skills. Look at security awareness training and things like that. You want you know. You don't necessarily need people who are expert professionals. You might get somebody who comes from a completely different work of life um, than technology who can, can come in and deliver something. There's, it's just a disconnect of what can we do, where can we invest, where where can we flag opportunities to people. Go on, Matt. Let's let's hear you weigh in on 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 this. Look, um, it's it's catch twenty two because you don't build a community without people, but you also need a community to build people up and and, and bring them in. Um, If I look back 10 years about what there was in Manchester, there was a few firms, okay? There wasn't many. Um, And then I think uh, Manchester's seen a resurgence. Uh, you know, uh, the BBC moved there, so that um, got a lot of uh, a lot of tech companies and, and media companies moving up um, as well. Um, GCHQ um, put an office up here as well, which which obviously brought defence contractors and, and other security companies uh, as well. Um, but um, you know, you, you don't you don't build an event with no people, mm. but uh, without people, there isn't there isn't an event. Um, but, um, uh, you know, if, if we look at, you know, those changes, um, it, it's wholly positive because 10 years ago, people were, uh, were fishing in the same small pond. 
And now we're not fishing in that same small pond. We're, we're as Nelson said, you know, we're developing talent from um, uh, from university, from other um, other disciplines as well, because you know it's not just about cybersecurity. Although you know there are people now coming out with cybersecurity degrees, that's great. Um, but I interviewed someone today with a with a degree in chemistry. Um, you know, really really interesting background that's found themselves you know working working in risk. Um, you know, so so there is that diversity, but you know, you need to find a way to attract people. And I think the community is a is is a is, a, is an active way to do that. Yeah, absolutely, and and I think you're right. And and looking at the diversity of people ba- people's backgrounds, this is an example I always talk about because I think it's really good. Um, there's a, a really small little agency that I've worked with uh, for for a couple of years now, and their um, uh, their kind of framework of what they told me to look for was we just need people who are really good when it comes to detail and analytical and they found a lot of success looking at people from psychology as a as an educational background because their thought process and the way that they think that's their that's their pool now they don't go and look for cybersecurity analysts or threat analysts they look for people from psychology as a degree background because they know they've got that kind of core skill set. And I think you're right. Again, it's just education and it's community, things like this, talking about, oh, well, actually, yeah, someone from chemistry probably does a lot with X, Y, and Z. That's a really transferable skill set because they understand the mitigation of risk. It's now just a change of how they apply that thought process and apply that knowledge. It's Yeah, I think it's, it's an interesting one. So in terms of when we look at the community then, and and obviously um, shining a light on opportunities within Manchester of not only the candidates that are there and the types of people that we could work with, but those employer brands and um, the the opportunities that exist for the candidates uh, in in our, you know, like really interesting uh, world that we have here. Matt, what, what do you think as an organisation businesses can do to make themselves more attractive as a viable option for people to stay within the relative locale and, and and to maybe go with a brand that they don't necessarily know as much what what can businesses do to be a more attractive proposition for an, an ever competitive candidate pool yeah um i think employee retention is is really difficult and i think uh, employers really need to uh reassess the the costs of having to rehire because you've lost a candidate honestly it, it costs a lot of money and do you i think know, do you know how much it is by the way roughly uh, it, i mean assuming that it's 20 30 you know <clears throat> it, it costs about 30k to replace someone and i'm not just obviously talking about a a recruitment fee or anything but mm. the the downtime and everything it's around about 30k is the cost to replace someone it's astronomical it's more than a recruitment fee is ever going to cost or anything like that it's, it's, it's very very high so yeah retention and, and, and attrition big big topics to, to hit on yeah look that doesn't surprise me um and um so so i think employers need to look at that and and, and think you know is it worth keeping candidates like you know i'm sure we all here struggle you know you lose someone it takes you three months to to, to find good candidates and they're on three month notice period I mean, and it takes them three to six months before they're even like effective in their job. You've lost a year, right? And and uh, less uh, less admit it, it, it's a highly attractive industry. You know, it's really easy for people to be enticed between uh, between roles. Um, but I think you know, for me, this is all about um, uh, 
it's a couple of things. It's it's perks and benefits, right? And I don't necessarily mean sort of, you know, tangible things like I'm getting like healthcare or or bonuses, those sorts of things. It's also, you know, career development, right? You know, how do you get someone from where they are to, to where they want to be? Um, uh, and, you know, uh, and that could just be, you know, mentoring, that could be training, uh, you know, I've had very mixed experiences working at companies in in my ability to uh, to get training, and and honestly, like you know, I'm I'm long in this career, and if you go back 15 years, all of my training would have been you know done by myself in my in, in my own time hmm. um i'm hoping for a lot of people it's not like that these days but I, but i do hear you know a lot about the grind and how people should be doing stuff outside of work and and blah 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 look i don't subscribe to that i think this is really down to okay. employers go say that again sorry amy it's very 80s the very 80s way of doing management is that oh yeah you're yeah. gonna do it yeah it's not yeah i think I th- I, i'm just gonna link that straight back to what Amy, you and you and Nelson were saying earlier about the investment in the talent, and and you're absolutely spot on, Matt. That actually advertising the fact that you give a damn about the people that you bring you through the doors and that you employ, and you will invest in. I think that's such a big selling point. Well, it's not just them as a person and their investment. It's actually telling them a story of how the company cares about security. The amount of times you talk to people and they're like, I've left my last job because they weren't invested in security. It wasn't considered important. It wasn't embedded into the company. You have these conversations quite regularly up to and including CISO where, you know, Uh the average life cycle of a CISO is about two years. I'm now in my fourth year. Security is a board level consideration. I've got a good budget. You know, I, I speak to other CISOs who don't have that. And I'm sat there thinking, how do you go to work on a daily basis and mm. not have that purpose? And that goes all the way up and down the business. If you want to attract someone and then retain them, they must feel what they're doing on a day-to-day basis matters to the company. And it's yeah. not this um, kind of nonsense thing that happens in the corner and only gets brought up when they're doing an incident. They want to show that it's part of the life cycle and part of what you do on a day-to-day, then you've got more chance of retaining them. And then investing them as a person as well as security in the company. Of yeah. course. And I agree. That, me- that message is just going to spill as well, isn't it? Because people speak. And if you hear these really good things about what is going on at Gamma, then guess where you're going to look for your next opportunity? It's it, it, it's a, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy, really, isn't it? I wish there was the same thing as Zen, Steve. And, and it's built on Amy's point, really, about this idea of it doesn't matter where you come from, who you are. If you've got it, you've got it. <clears throat> My senior team at Zen are all made up of people who have grown up through tech support mm-hmm. at Zen. So they understand things like broadband connectivity. They understand things like hosting technologies and all that kind of stuff. They've kind of cut their teeth, literally, in working on customer problems, working on the things that actually could materially impact the organization. They're not died in the wool infosec people. They're not, they've not necessarily been a way to university, college, whatever, and done cyber degrees or any kind of material training courses or anything like that. They've come through the industry knowing what the industry is and now add value to what we do. Mm. And they're now the same people that were answering your broadbands. Oh, my my internet's gone down. What are you going to do about it, Zen? Right? And again, something that Amy will be experienced in. Um, To doing threat intelligence, mm. vulnerability management, all that kind of stuff that we do, user engagement, GRC, 
all the different roles. And I want to pick on this as a point. People, not everybody, but certain individuals in the world will look at cybersecurity as being hacky, hacky, and you're either one thing or another. Far more nuanced than that, right? There are so many roles in what we do. Yeah as an industry. And it is everything from doing the audits, the GRC stuff, all that kind of thing, which is essentially really important to an organization if its customers care about that level of validation, accreditation, and so on and so forth, right? Some see it as a a box ticking exercise, others don't, right? Therefore, it's a thing. Then we have the real world cyber stuff, which is chasing the bad people around the internet, you know, doing the hacky-hacky, doing the threat intel, monitoring, incident response, user awareness. There are so many roles in this industry that I don't think we're making enough of a play of it. But I think it just seems a little bit of a narrow barrier to entry that it is either you cannot do one thing or the other. And I think we can do a better job of, of that as employers and as an industry in general about making it a broad church. Yeah, I think I think understanding the... Um you know, what, what the perspective is, is of the security industry. I think, again, that it's another education point, isn't it, where, where we're able to link up between a talent pool and between employers and, and, and hiring managers. What is the perception? And actually, let's let's bash some of those barriers down, that, those barriers to entry. Go on, Nelson, sorry, I, I jumped over you there. Uh, no, uh, uh, no problem at all, and I think I agree with uh, uh, with all of you um, in certain aspects. But I think to hire, what what all the candidates want is to go to a non toxic environment, uh, somewhere you can develop your uh, your skills, you can be supported, you have a, a nice team where, for example, there is pressure. We have CVs coming out every day. We have to deal with those. But on a certain way, on a certain way, the company should have a, a, a nice culture. I think if you have on the, on the table uh, flexible working hours, uh, if you have all of those perks that are offered, uh, but if the company still invest in you, uh, and if the if your colleagues are there support you if there are regular activities uh at least for the people who work remotely we need to see we need to see people we need to 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 contact others i think it goes on that trend i think nothing has changed here in what attracts candidates uh, from any other business okay but on a certain way who moves to Technology wants to have the gadgets, wants to have the apps, wants to have the fancy stuff, plus a nice salary package, plus all the other perks. Yeah, yeah, completely agree. And, and do you know what? As, as much as we talk about what will attract someone to organizations, other than knowledge of those organizations existing, there are always going to be people who move solely for a salary or solely for this or solely for that. Yeah. And, and this is definitely something that, when we move into doing our in-person events and we get our community together um, in in the coming months, I'm going to raise some of the topics that you guys have just brought up there and go, this is all good. How do we know if the community knows about it? And I think that's the point is getting, again, going back to brand recognition, going back to the engagement with the communities is, is some of the stuff that, that we we absolutely need to pick up on because we all know it about our own yeah. organisations, but do 
other people who might apply for us do they know that about us um i think that's that's yeah. an interesting topic area right let's let's just recap then some of the stuff that we've talked about so obviously giving support amy as you said before to people within leadership positions where it can be really lonely you can be quite siloed you can struggle internally within your business within your ecosystem to have sounding boards there's a there's a real importance to giving people like you access to other people within the community to get that support there's the knowledge of the brands within uh within security and the the opportunities that exist for maybe what people would consider non-conventional backgrounds moving into and developing through security um and understanding how the talent pool views you as a potential employer there's a few things there that we can absolutely address by reinvigorating the scene through meetups through events through talks through webinars through linkedin lives there's loads of stuff that we can do but from a social and professional responsibility perspective what else do you think that we can do that we should be doing um matt let's let, let's just grab your quick thoughts on that so uh, I, I think we we need to evolve um, in terms of um, what we uh, what we currently do, uh, mostly because you know we're, we're still a little bit post pandemic, and and I would like to see uh, a return of more face to face events. But if I think back to to to, to how I started out, right? So you know, a uh, child of the eighties and nineties, um, and uh, meetups were you know once a month you know, certain locations, certain time, and there weren't really many of them, but they were really geared towards those that were just sort of, you know, the, the, the hackers. And and you roll on sort of, you know, 20, 30 years, and that's changed. And, and Amy touched upon this, uh, you know, about having um, uh, events that uh, fulfill the needs of seniors. And there's also the same thing for for middle managers. And there's also the same thing for, you know, those that are that are hands-on, and maybe even those that are, um, that are the new to the industry to, to, to grads um uh, but uh I, I don't think we're we're kind of where we need to be um and um I think uh, to 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 support these people that they need different things um so for example for, for 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 those that are new to the industry they need something that's completely different than than you know a hardened CISO uh, and you can really see that and and you shouldn't um, across the streams, it doesn't work. Um, and I think, you know, a lot of people, for example, they want to be CISOs. So, you know, they try to push themselves towards events that might be geared towards CISOs and it's not the right thing for them. And it's also mm -hmm. not the right thing for the, for the, for the event as well. Um, but um, uh, I, I think, you know, addressing those needs for those different levels is, is, is really important. But you need to understand what those needs actually are. So, so for those that are, that are just starting out in the industry, it's they need to learn a little bit from, you know, those that are the next level up. Right. I don't think they need to learn from a CISO because CISO is going to talk strategy, is going to talk very, very high level. Um, and I think it's got to be relatable content mm -hmm. um, for those people. It's not relatable. It, it, it's not it's not worth it. Um, but for those people starting out, you know, they want to know, um, uh, you know, what the career paths are like, um, you know, where they should be focusing their own learning and training, what they can do to get their foot on the ladder or that next step um, uh, on the ladder. You know, they want to be building that that network up. 
You look at the high end, the CISOs, and Amy already mentioned this, you know, they want to be bouncing ideas off their peers. You know, what's the stuff that's keeping you awake at night? What did you do about this, you know, uh, this regulatory problem, for for example? Um, and uh, I think we also need to see uh, companies um, start putting their money where their mouth is and, and investing in people. And that could be in community events honestly uh-huh. like i don't want to i don't want to uh, you know sit here and, uh, and be the advocate for community events just because i've been doing it for 10 years um that, that that's not that's not the case but i know that you know my own network um, and myself personally have, have greater benefit have benefited greatly um from uh you know what what we've built um and um uh, you know i hope that the, that they've gone on to to grow but you know and that would be not just vendors or recruitment companies, but actually, you know, technology companies or companies which, you know, are involved in technology, you know, getting in front of the right people to talk about what they're doing and why they're doing it. Mm. Yeah, I think I think some really, really valid points there that are, that, that are very important when it comes to, to this topic of trying to reinvigorate this scene is it's got to be individualistic can't be a one shoe fits all because it absolutely isn't people will take stuff from from different events different meetups different conversations different talks whatever it might be but you've got to create the opportunity for as many people to benefit as possible for it to be genuinely meaningful and have an impact for a lot of different people anything you want to add there amy yeah, so the only thing I would add to that is um, more of a logistical thing, because everything you've just said, Matt, is absolutely spot on, perfect. Why aren't we considering doing them in, like, office hours? So there's a lot of, you know, oh, right, okay, well, community event is in the evening. Well, we're all bloody knackered by then. We've got big jobs. You've got families <laughs> like, as well. You have to have a work-life families. balance. We've got, yeah. We're trying to attract people who've come from these diverse backgrounds. You know, they've got to go home. They've got kids at home, the rest of it. You know, we're, we're portraying a culture of we want to bring all these different people in. but saying, but by the way, if you want to be in a community, you've got to go to a pub on a Thursday night at this time. And, da, da, da. and also, as leaders, we then need to give people the freedom to go to these events. It needs to be seen as part of their job not an add-on thing they're doing for themselves because the company does benefit as well as the person. Yeah, And I love that you've got that, like you said before, built into your job descriptions, go and be an active member in your community. That's that's such a refreshing um, and, and realistic expectation. I think that's so good. I think that's a really good takeaway for everybody. Go on, Nelson. I, I am really... Uh... I'm really uh, for uh, one view that I have in my head because other other communities uh, like the medical community, the dental community, they have something which is um, the CPD they have to do through the year, mm-hmm. compulsory CPD that they have to do during the year. And I think if our job was more regulated, not the job what we are doing, but if our professions uh were more regulated, we would have also to have something similar because technology is something in constant progress. And if you are forced to attend and to do CPD, a certain hours of CPD a year, it will help you to develop yourself. It Mm. will help while you develop yourself, you will help your company uh, uh, with the skills that you are acquiring. So I think it is something that could be introduced by the companies. Uh, with what Amy said, 
I know that some companies they give uh, uh, free days for uh, for the, the the employees to go and to do some of those courses and 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 to do uh, and to attend seminaries. So I think on that case is just going again down to the to the to the company to to free the employees. But on the other way and not being. Uh, uh, hypocrite i think all of those events and physical events need money and need someone to invest either they are either they are with the sales purpose with the recruitment purpose whatever if the topic is interesting i think the the, the professionals will attend so mm. we need people and companies to invest if you if they want to launch a product within the community why not organize a seminary and just discuss the product in between the lines awesome. I, I, that's something that, you know, from my perspective, I hadn't even thought about is is making a community accessible CPD program. Um, it, it's, yeah, really interesting that. Mike, finally, over to you before we finish up. Yeah, um, ultimately, the industry is made up of the community, right? The industry is made up of people. So when I do things with the beer farmers and we do beer corn, which is a thing that you can go look up and find out about, it's about people. All walks of life, doesn't matter. Got an interest in the industry and the world we're in, get involved, right? That's where it all starts. That's what Matt's done over the years. That's what I've done over the years. Bringing that community together, right? Whether you're... I mentioned earlier on in the, in the conversation whether you're a threat intel person or whether you do this, that, or the other, or whatever. Get you all in the same environment um, and you make friends. And that's absolutely critically important, making friends. So during lockdown, you know, we did InfoSec Happy Hour. Um, opportunity on a Friday evening for people to come together and make friendships. And careers were spawned on the back of it, literally. Careers were spawned on the back of a bunch of people on a Friday evening for about eight months during that hellish period of life. And they came together and we had a laugh and people had a drink and shared memes and other things besides, all that kind of stuff. In fact, even a couple got married on the back of it. It's community. That's what we're trying to build, a community. Because mm. if you build a community successfully, what you end up then with is with a strong infrastructure of people that are doing the right thing, supporting the local industry, i.e. the Northwest, um, and you can succeed. So that's my pontificating take. Amazing. Thank you. Well, listen, before we end the podcast today, I'd like to say thank you so much, genuinely, to all of our guests for sharing their thoughts um, in today's conversation. Once again, our guests on today's podcast have been Amy Lemberger, the CISO at Gamma, Mike Thompson, the Information Security Manager at Zen Internet, Nelson Fortunato, Cybersecurity Manager at NEC Software Solutions, and Matt Summers, the Director of Information Security for the Products, Pharmaceuticals and Life Sciences Division of PMI. If you're starting to plan your 2024 talent strategy, if you're actively hiring for new security roles, or if you're looking for a new role yourself, then feel free to get in touch with me here at Evolution. Or if you or anyone you know would like to be featured on a future podcast just like this one, you can drop me a message too. I'm Stephen Mann, and you can find me on LinkedIn or email me at Stephen, that's Stephen with a P-H, dot Mann, M-A-N-N, at evolutionjobs.co.uk. Or you can visit us at evolutionjobs.com forward slash UK. Thank you once again to all of our guests, and thank you for listening. We hope you can join us next time 